0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.
1: I will remind everybody, you can listen to this again, you can fast forward through the moderator's rambling... At www.sackpaw.ca, there's an archive of past sessions. It's it's quite fascinating and a great source of information. Um, You can also uh, make suggestions to the to Sackpaw via email on the website. There's a suggestion box on the website, and I believe there's a suggestion box outside. So you can scribble down. You know, the if you want to know how to make one of these tie dye shirts, we could do that. We heard Professor, Professor Diana Dow Edwards talk about exposing the developing brain to marijuana. What are the risks? Um, I'm sure everybody talked about nothing but that at their table and that they have insightful, intelligent questions. So I'm going to plug the next two sackpaw sessions while I'm up here. Next Wednesday, we've got a really, really good one. Uh, this is one that, that even though there's no food at it, it's well worth attending. Uh, it'll be at the University of Lethbridge Students Union Ballroom B. It, it's a presentation on Beyond the Truths and Reconciliation Commission testimony. Where do we go from here? The speaker is Chief Wilton Littlechild. Uh, I get. Can I say Professor Chief Wilton Littlechild? Because he's a PhD, a Cree chief, a residential school survivor, and a lawyer. I, I, I mean, he's a leader in this. This is this is a big get for SACPON for the U of L. Um, it goes at noon, December 9th. Students Union Ballroom B. Martin Heavyhead is going to moderate, and he's far better looking than I am. So I, really, everyone should check that out. And then our regular session next week is getting off the electric grid. Is the sun all we need? So I'm going to wear my tie-dye shirt again. Uh, this one's going to be from by Erhard Herrmann. He's been living off the grid for, well, longer than Canuti's been living on it. And... It's going to be another fascinating session uh, he's, he's, going to, he's actually uh, uh, probably a very energetic speaker So I think it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun So if you get a chance, do that So I will ask everyone to line up at the microphones for your questions um, Keep them as brief as possible Limit yourself to one or two questions And you know, sp- try to stay on topic Although it's a, it's a big and a broad topic But there was a, a lot of interesting information in that presentation So here we go Sure. My name is Mark Edel. I was just wondering, are there any statistics to compare fetal alcohol syndrome to early use of marijuana during pregnancy? Because we all know about FAS right. and its effects.
2: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. A lot of I get a lot of questions on comparing fetal alcohol syndrome with uh, what we have are trying to really coin as a fetal cannabinoid syndrome. It's a little more hard, difficult to say. Um, but in terms of incidence, no, there haven't really been uh, incidences com- direct in-, in specific populations. Just in general, uh, the fetal alcohol syndrome is much more devastating. The full blown syndrome is- would be, I would think, much more de- devastating. But uh, certainly, uh, fetal cannabinoid effects are much more widespread because of the use. Hi, my name is Mike McCaig. Hi, Mike. My question
3: (coughs) um, comes kind of off the Internet, so I know it might not be too accurate. But we see, uh, with reference to medical marijuana, we see the stories like one that we saw recently where uh, a young baby or child uh, was having a gazillion um,
4: seizures seizures a day. Mm -hmm.
3: And apparently when mom gave it uh, THC product, they went away. Can you
2: comment on that area? Yes. Certainly, um, uh, THC dampens electrical activity in the brain. I showed you how it dampens the release of the neurotransmitters. And so, in individuals that have these uh, intractable seizures, it can be beneficial. Okay? So, I'm certainly not denying that that can be beneficial. However, uh the problem is that it is does that does not mean that it's good for everyone okay and certainly you would re- recognize that having your brain function dampened chronically is not a good situation now for this particular child obviously this child has a very um, problematic trajectory all right with this degree of seizures quality of life must be very poor and so forth so that the side effects from marijuana, uh, may not be overwhelming in this particular child. But in other situations, such as Parkinson's disease, for example, I, I've, there are, uh, I've, I've read some papers on medical marijuana, and there was a recent uh, paper out of the VA in the U.S., uh, where they, ca- they went through all of the medical uses, and they, they looked at... Uh, controlled clinical trials on, for all of these uses. And they looked at things like Parkinson's disease, for example, which this audience may be interested in. And they found that while it did help the Parkinsonian, some of the Parkinsonian symptoms, it made the dementia of Parkinson's disease much, much worse. And so the, the, this, is, this is all in the literature and I have the reference here if you're interested. Um, and the only... Uh, controlled clinical trial that supported the use of marijuana in, in clinical populations there was the incidence of AIDS the wasting syndrome from AIDS and then in uh, chemotherapy as in order to improve eating with chemo, in, in patients that had undergone chemotherapy those are the only two situations where controlled clinical trials did prove efficacy all the others were not so
5: Hi, my name is Wendy, and I just wonder if you would clarify for me, please, um,
2: if this crosses through on the sperm uh, or just the the egg, you know, the the effects. Yes. Well, certainly the transgenerational studies where they were, uh, where uh, Yasmin Hurd has done some of these and several other investigators, uh, have administered marijuana, THC, to adolescent rats, male rats, and uh, then looked at the offspring they grew up, they mated and had babies There, and they, they were able to characterize the epigenetic changes in the offspring Okay, so clearly in terms of the male that is uh, mediated by changes in, in the DNA of the sperm and those are transgenerational at least we know at least one generation we don't know if it goes on for a second generation uh, and uh, to my knowledge, there have well, we know that the mother uh, treating the mother during pregnancy is obviously bad. That's all those fetal studies that I was talking about. But honestly, I don't think I have seen any rodent studies where the mom is treated prior to conception and then look at uh, the offspring. However, since the eggs are clearly in, uh, you know, in the mother's body prior to conception, and uh, I, I would definitely assume that, wouldn't be surprised, shall we say, that there would be effects in the, in the, wom- in the mother as well.
5: Hi there. My name is Vivian.
3: Hi. Um, you were just talking now, right now about treatment for the mother, so I'm going to piggyback on that. So definitely, prevention is the key of usage, and I know what I'm going to be talking to my kids tonight at dinner time. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... For the people who have biological effects, who either were a fetus that was exposed to it or they used it in adolescence, Um, so you said that they are more prone to addiction, um, to marijuana. So they are trying to um, satisfy these reward circuits. What can be done to counter this addiction? Um, And uh, with regards to the legalization... What do you want to be, want to see in that policy?
2: Right. Th- thank you for asking that question. That's a great question because um, I've been studying uh, substance abuse my entire career, and uh, and I recognize that I mean that addiction is a huge problem, and the studies that uh, the adolescent studies, for example, and the prenatal rodent studies. Uh, grew the animals up and then they self-administered a variety of drugs not just marijuana in the animal studies they self-administered more heroin they self-administered more cocaine they self-administered more alcohol and if we then talk in human terms what, if, what is the nature of that reward circuit, right? the reward circuit is the same for gambling cigarettes uh, sex all of these aspects of of human function interact with the reward circuit. Okay, they release dopamine in the reward circuit. So exposure to marijuana, either prenatally or during adolescence, changes the whole dynamics of that dopamine reward circuit, okay? So that people, animals, want to take more, all right? So this is a big problem, and as far as we know that those are permanent changes, And uh, there have been no studies with marijuana in terms of correction or or treatment or whatever. And actually, that's the study that I'm going to be doing with Robin Gibb, who happens to be the world's expert (laughs) on therapy, if you will, for a variety of uh, of early developmental insults. So we're going to be dosing up, initially, we're going to be dosing up animals with marijuana, THC, and then putting them either in enriched housing to see if we can correct the uh, structural changes in the brain and or tactile stimulation we'll give them to see if those structural changes and behavioral changes can be corrected because there have been no studies at all on that. So this is, this is what we plan to do and, and hopefully by the summer we'll start ha- having some data on that. Thank you.
4: My name is Van Christou. Dan, thank you so much for being here with us today, Uh, particularly at this time when we're facing uh, choice uh, politically on uh, legalizing uh, marijuana. Uh, It's a really timely fact that you're here now uh, presenting facts on this matter rather than all the fiction and the the nonsense that we hear from people individually, uh, individual opinions. It's really great to have the the knowledge that you have behind you, showing the the dangers to the uh, developing brain. Um, The uh, question that I have uh, depends on the fact on the matter of the legalization. Um, I think that probably we'll have it legalized here in Canada. And uh, do you not think that uh, if that happens, that the most important thing of all? is to make sure that we all influence our, our, our representatives on emphasizing the importance of the education that goes with it if we do legalize marijuana.
2: Right, yes, yes, thank you, and I'm sorry, I forgot to, to talk about legalization in your, I got off on my tangent, <laughs> so uh, yes, legalization is obviously right around the corner here. And um, I'm not a legal expert, and, and I'm sure there are, there are reasons on both sides. I think incarceration is a huge problem, so I can sort of understand that. The, what my f- focus is, is to get the information out to, uh, so that people understand the risks associated with smoking pot during pregnancy or as an adolescence or in adolescence. And the implication is when it's made legal that it's safe, right, as I said during my talk, all right? And it's not safe. And so if we can get the word out so that people recognize it is not safe and there are risks associated with it and that these kids, if they smoke daily, their IQ will never be what it could have been. And that's a huge, huge factor, okay, in my mind. So... um, you know, I'm a mother, I have two kids, and my, my older son tells me he smokes, you know, and it upsets me, right? It's a big problem. But, um, and I, I, I just, I spend a lot of time telling him, you know, it's not safe. But, you know, these are kids. It's hard to get through to them sometimes. But, that, but that's my issue with legalization, you know, supply and demand. Uh, as long as, as people demand it, there's going to be a supply, whether it's legal or not. And right now, it's not legal. Kids can get it whenever they, they want. So, if they, the only way to, to try to save these future generations is to try to reduce the demand, and that is to get kids to know it's dangerous. It's not safe. There is a risk. When we talked about psychosis, we talked about depression, we talked about anxiety, we talked about additional substance abuse, and you, you saw the Hazleton Betty Ford. Statement that these kids that get to their clinic, they have lost a whole window of their life, and they regret. They regret the lost opportunities. And, 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 you know, sure, they have a great time hanging out on the couch and, you know, being with their friends and all this stuff, but this is a really important part of their development. And, and as far as we know, they will never be able to recover those years because that's a window of vulnerability. And once that window is closed, as far as we know, you can't go back.
0: Hi, my name is Peter Beal, and I've got a sort of a two-part thing. One is, like my doctor tells me, a brandy before bed is good for my circulation and things like that. So when you look at that, when I was young, you couldn't drink until you were 21, then they lowered to 18. So by your study of the adolescent, wouldn't it be better to convince the government that not only alcohol but also marijuana when legalized should go to 21. That's one part of the thing. Mm-hmm. And the other quest- part of the question is, when I was smoking it when I was in university, it was a sort of a thing like for relaxation before, before the anxiety of exams. My brother just had it <laughs> prescribed uh, in Vancouver for his insomnia. And he said he had to give it away. It was so much stronger. He said, compared to the, what it, we had when we were young, yes. it, he felt paralyzed yes. by, the, by what he smoked here. He says it was a completely different drug. Yes. So what has happened, right. you know, with marijuana? And can strength be regulated back to what it used to be? Right, right. Okay.
2: Yes, thank you. Those are two really important issues, and I... I was rushing, so I forgot to talk about the increase in, in potency now of marijuana. Back in, the, back in the day in the 70s, it was about 7% THC in a joint. was about 7% THC, and now it's up to 20% and even higher. And the cigarette companies, of course, big business is going to market this and you know get in on, on this, this, all this income. The cigarette companies are developing even more potent marijuana. So that's a huge problem, and that all these data that I've been talking about with, with uh, prenatal studies as well as adolescent studies are based on the low-potency marijuana. That Generation R study out of Holland, is, is in Holland, they've got the high-potency stuff. But those kids are very young, so we don't know yet. But certainly, the, the, and in fact, I've even read some papers that uh, in... Uh, I just read a paper this morning... uh, From the UK, that uh, people that smoke skunk, which is another name for very high high, high potency marijuana, the the uh, incidence of psychosis and schizophrenia in those populations is way up, way up. So this is a big, big problem, and uh, I think things are going to be, you know, we're we're going to see some changes when we get our clinics flooded with people. Even now. Uh, I've talked to healthcare providers, and there are not enough beds for the kids that have marijuana problems in Alberta Health Service. They can't, they cannot get them into hospitals because the uh, it's not considered a problem if they're just marijuana. If they have comorbidity, you know, psychosis or something else, then they can have a bed in the hospital. But just for marijuana dependence, there are no beds in Alberta. So this is a big, big problem. So now the other question was age so in Colorado for example where it's legal I've read the report from Colorado and uh, it's 21 there alright and so, so you have to show multiple times you've got to show uh, identification to get into the place and they do have signs up you know if you're pregnant you're not supposed to be here and all that but does that change and did the it, did the making uh legal in marijuana change adolescent use? No. Kids can get it and so it no, doesn't matter what limit the state poses on legal availability, the kids are going to get it. So it really doesn't matter.
3: Yeah. Uh, my name is Frank Toth. Uh, uh, Professor, I, uh, I just want to commend you for the timely and appropriate subject and I want to compliment the executives for the choice of, and the timing of your speech. However, I want to turn a little bit to more safety in the public realm. Uh, I'm talking basically about the, the mounting automobiles on the highway and the serious deaths and accidents in, 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 on, on the highways. So yep. uh, we know that the police... Uh, are, are are have a uh, instant method of testing for alcohol? Have they have? Are you aware of any test on narcotics that can be tested on the highway to say you are drunk on 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 the skunk juice? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, secondly, I've a little problem. I'm sitting with a bunch of liberals whose boss <laughs> is a Prime Minister. Uh, Pri- Prime Minister. <laughs> they don't know what to say. <laughs> but, but anyway, we are kind of saved a little because automatic car driving now is coming into vote. Yes.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, or these narcotics
3: yes. are gonna have a right. uh, easy out. Is yes. there a test for narcotics? Yes.
2: yes. Okay. Like
3: like breathalyzer.
2: Yes. Uh, no. The answer is no. There is no test, roadside test, and that's one of the big problems. Uh, in Colorado, for example, in the report, there is no roadside test. So what they have done is you have to rely on a blood test. Even buckle smears and so forth, you know, is, is not appropriate for marijuana. So they have to go to blood tests. And in the Colorado report, they talk about... Serious. The, the blood levels of marijuana in the individuals involved in the accidents are directly related to the severity of the accident. Okay? So they... But these are individuals that get to have blood tests. All right? There is no con- convenient roadside assessment that the uh, officers do. So it's a big problem. The other thing I really need to mention in terms of driving is that 20 years ago, there were studies that showed... Uh, your assessment of time is way altered when you are smoking pot or when you're under the influence of marijuana. And these are studies, computer studies, you know, you have to hold a lever down for 10 seconds or whatever and let it up. And they do, every, do the. these are adults. They, they test you on normal conditions, and then they give you some dose of marijuana and, and then retest you. And your time perception is way off. Now, isn't that important when you're driving? Right exactly so, so that's a problem but I'm glad you mentioned automatic cars so maybe I will think twice about them as, as to their utility yes <laughs> okay thank you Newt.
3: Knut Peterson is my name yep. thanks for coming Diane uh, as soon as I heard your talk at the university I knew your talk was uh, made for SACPA mm-hmm. uh, my question relates to eating the stuff uh, I've uh, only eaten it once myself on purpose, and once when I didn't know which was a place in the middle of Malawi in Africa, and I got absolutely wasted. It <laughs> took me two days to get over it. Yeah. Anyway, my question relates to <laughs> is there any difference uh, between eating it and smoking it?
2: Oh yes, absolutely, a lot of difference. I could give a whole lecture on pharmacokinetics. It's one of my favorite topics. (laughs) So I won't, though. (laughs) Uh, So the difference is, of course, when you smoke, you get very rapid brain levels. All right? And that's when you you get the high. And, you, you know, and people smoke for a certain effect. So that happens very rapidly. When you eat it, it's a very, very long absorption process. And, in fact, from brownies or cookies or whatever, according to Colorado... The, it takes four hours to get in the maximum blood level for whatever dose you're taking so the problem is somebody will have you know, a brownie or two and then they'll, they will not feel it You know, that's oh, an hour I, sh- I should have felt it at an hour already they'll have more and they'll have more and all of a sudden they've had too much so this is a big problem other issues with the as it turns out Colorado has sold Four times as many cookies, candies, and so forth laced with THC than they have joints. So the eating is a big, big problem. And also there's a, there was a huge spike in children in the emergency rooms eating the candy. Animals eating the candy. Because, of course, and, well, children, it looks just like normal candy. So they can't differentiate between the marijuana-laced candy and real. So that is a big problem. So this is getting the whole research community to look in a different place, because there are no studies looking at juveniles, like pre-adolescents, really, really young animals, in terms of what effect does marijuana have on them. Thank you for your question.) Don't mean it. <laughs>
1: Okay, these, these will be our last two questions right here. So if you've, got, if you've got other questions, they'll just have to wait for another time or just wait for the brownies to kick in, and you won't want to ask it anyway. So go right ahead.
3: Thank you for your speech about the subject I have no experience with. Is the use of marijuana during pregnancy as severe as fetal alcohol syndrome? Right.
2: Yeah, so I think the, the first question had to do with that um, it, of course, it all depends on consumption, how much is consumed, and it, an alcoholic will drink many uh, pints of liquor a day. And certainly, there's you know there's plenty of evidence that alcohol fetal alcohol syndrome is a very, very, very serious condition. And to my knowledge, the uh, fetal cannabinoid syndrome is not as serious. However, due to the large number of women who are smoking pot during pregnancy, uh, it it is most likely to be much more widespread. And certainly, it is not benign. I mean, all the studies support the fact that it is uh, a teratogen, a functional teratogen. And um, alcohol is, of course, very serious as well. I'm not not minimizing that. But um, anyway, so that's that's the problem. Uh, Alcohol... Is uh, more serious on an individual basis, and yet the marijuana is a much more widespread problem, I think.
5: I'm Bev Middle Atherstone. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Dow Edwards. I really appreciate you being here and talking to us. Um, very timely. And it, it's interesting that we had um, hashed um, brown potatoes. And brownies, <laughs> very, a very interesting choice for a talk on hash brownies. <laughs> anyway, um, I have two questions. One is um, you talked a little bit about the mice that you brought into your lab and you stimulated and played with them, and that seemed to act as uh, an ameliorating effect for the THC. So I'm wondering what are the uh, risk factors for teenagers... Uh, taking marijuana? Are there some, uh, such as um, coming from a home where there's less stimulation, or something like that, and then coming from homes or environments that are more stimulating, and, and also maybe um, physiological effects like uh, depression and anxiety. So that's number one, and the other one was sort of dovetails onto the previous question in regard to glial c- cell migration in the um, um, with alcohol. With um, alcohol versus with marijuana, maybe you could talk about a little bit about each
2: okay, okay thanks all right i 'll talk about the uh, the uh, the first uh, one because actually i didn 't really spend too much time on that, and that 's stress. so our studies uh, looked at early stress and and the response to marijuana to THC in rodents, and these were actually rats but um so it, it, it's sort of, the study was designed to mimic what we, what we talk about as ACE scores, you know, about what the ACE scores are, adverse childhood experience. So children, you know, have various traumas that occur, and um, so the question is, do these traumas change the, the brain's response to marijuana? And our studies support the fact that they do, okay? Uh, the shipped animals. That shipping is a stressor for a rat. The little baby rat is with his mother, but they go on a truck, and there's a lot of noise, and they're bouncing around, and all these smells, and all these, all this stuff. That's a huge stressor at a very vulnerable time in the rat's development. And other people use other kinds of stressors. So then we gave a specific dose of marijuana and we showed that the animals that were stressed showed an anxiolytic, in other words, they were less anxious and they were less depressed. I only showed you depression, okay? So so marijuana had, quote, good effects in those stressed animals. And in the animals that were raised in our lab, that were handled and treated very nicely, you know, good serve and return, Good attention, uh, good bonding, all right? They did not even respond to that dose of marijuana, all right? So that shows you that the early stress history will change the brain's response to marijuana. So this may explain the tendency of some kids who have an early stress history, high ACE scores, to, to take marijuana because it means something different to them. All right? They may not get depressed They may have an antidepressant effect And obviously clinical studies are very complex And they are just now beginning to start to look at these ACE scores The early uh, adverse childhood experience And to try to tease out Does this in- increase the psychosis risk? Okay. And does this increase the risk of depression? Or does it make it better? So, in terms of marijuana response. So, yes, definitely the early childhood experience has a huge effect on the biological response to marijuana.
1: Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready, Annalise. What do you want me to do? You're done. Thank you very much, everybody. A big round of applause for Dr. Diana Dow Edwards.